Hey, it's Kathy. I have something so fun to tell you about. You may know that the doors are open to my new program, The Abundance Method, but if you enroll by May 15th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific, you're going to get my signature business program also made to do this. That's a $3,000 program that you are going to get for free, included if you sign up by May 15th, just before midnight Pacific time. Made to do this is a phenomenal program that has helped thousands of souls to start businesses, to be able to make a living doing something that they love. This is an incredible deal. You don't want to miss it. Go ahead and sign up at kathyheller.com slash join. Inspiration is truly everywhere around you. You just have to stop and look for a minute. I believe that the opposite of depression, it's not happiness, it's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world. And that's why I wanted to create a show called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Don't Keep Your Day Job is about figuring out what it is that you were here to do in this world that only you can do to make the world more whole, more beautiful, and to stop selling yourself short, and to stop sitting it out, and to figure out how to take this thing you love, whether it's art or music or screenwriting or dance or baking, and how do you weave this thing that you love into a life that you get to contribute, that you get to do what you love full time, because it's not just about business. It's about contribution. It's about meaning. That is what we seek. That is what we truly want. And you absolutely are here to serve the world, and I want to help you figure out just how much value you have inside of you. And every single week, we're going to be talking to people who have something to add to help you get out of your own way, to help you be more successful, to help you be the truest expression of you. My name is Kathy Heller. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's dive in. Thanks to Honey for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Honey is a free browser add-on that finds me the best deals online. It's free to use and easy to install on your computer in just two clicks. So shop with confidence, get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash dreamjob. We're also supported by Clutter. When it comes to making life easier, Clutter is the undefeated champ. Their on-demand experience takes the self out of self-storage. Clutter has a great sign-up bonus. You can get $50 off your first month when you sign up at clutter.com slash dreamjob and use the code dreamjob at checkout. Also, thanks to Mighty Networks. A community can be hard to build, but with Mighty Networks, it practically runs itself. Get three months free when you sign up for a year, but you have to go to mightynetworks.com slash dreamjob. Also, thanks to Gusto. Gusto offers modern, easy payroll to benefits to small businesses across the country. They were even named Best Online Payroll by PCMag. Get three months free when you run your first payroll at gusto.com slash dreamjob. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I am just coming off of just feeling so full. My heart feels so full. We did this um, five-day free challenge for um, over 8,000 songwriters. And, you know, it's interesting because in the world of online courses and just the internet in general, sometimes people feel really weary when somebody offers some kind of a, a free course. And I just really show up. In fact, I know that some of my colleagues have said, why do you share so much? Why do you teach so much? Why do you give so much away for free? And it's truly because I just can't enjoy it any other way, really. Um, it makes me anxious and I want to just give. And um, it's just incredible because I think that so many people are so tired of not being seen. And we live in a time where there's such an empathy deficit that when someone really shows up and truly cares, you can feel it. And it's like the sweet nectar of the gods. So I've been sitting here 
over the last couple of days, these emails are pouring in from people who participated and they're telling me that they just feel so grateful that somebody took the time to see them and that this inner artist of theirs has really just needed and craved this moment for so long and that finally someone shows up who actually can be there to really hold space for them. And I'm just saying it because A, I'm just so grateful that they let me in, especially when there's a reason people don't trust, right? There's a lot of people out there who have an agenda. So I feel grateful that people let me in. And I also just feel like it's something I wanted to share with all of you because on this show, we talk about business and you guys, business is really empathy. When people have a hard time and they say, I want to figure out a way to make more money. I think the first question to ask is how could I provide value for someone else? Like, what can I do to create value for someone else? What do I have to teach? What do I have to give? What do I have to make? And when we really do that, and we actually do that and do that and do that, we make those deposits and we just water the ground, then whatever's supposed to come in the harvest will come. So I just wanted to share that with you because I just feel so grateful. Uh, Please forgive my voice because I have been teaching workshops for two weeks and my voice is getting hoarse. And those of you, by the way, who are songwriters, my course is called Six Figure Songwriting and it starts um, next week and the cart is open till Friday. And if you want details, I will put the link in the show notes. It's uh, sixfiguresongwriting.com. It's six months of me mentoring you and showing you the nitty gritty. How do you make music that you feel so aligned with? And at the same time, make music that helps tell the stories that are being told in TV shows and films and trailers and ads. And uh, we bring in people to the program who are choosing music at Netflix and HBO and Paramount and different ad agencies. And it's really quite awesome. I don't know how much longer I'm actually going to do that program because I have so much I want to do with the podcast and with the book and for all of you because the songwriting is so niche. But for whatever reason, I feel like I just continue to be led to this work. And after all, they are still artists like you and me. So the work is similar, what I'm doing on the show, but then we get into some specifics about songwriting and we help people actually have opportunities to have a direct line to the people who can give them opportunities to get the work. So if you're interested, you can check that out. I am so excited though about today's episode because on the show, we talk all the time about the four different ways to make a living. And you know, I say you could be a maker, a teacher, an investigator. That's a person who's doing blogging or podcasting. That's an investigator. And then the fourth category is being a curator. And it's so awesome. And on today's show, we're going to talk all about that. Today's guest is Danielle Krissa. She's an author, artist, blogger, curator, podcaster, and speaker. Her popular blog is called The Jealous Curator. It initially started as an outlet to turn her jealousy into admiration for the talented artists that she discovered, but it's grown into this awesome community of creatives who share that fascination and their own appreciation for the art. Her many, many books include Creative Block, Collage, Your Inner Critic is a Big Jerk, a big important art book, Now with Women, and she has a couple more exciting books coming soon, which we're going to talk about. Danielle has curated art shows all around the world from Washington, D.C. to L.A., San Francisco, Toronto, and she creates her own artwork as well. 
Her work has been featured by Oprah Magazine, Fast Company, Apartment Therapy, Sunset Magazine, and many more places. She has so many awesome creative exercises to share with you, and she is just one of the most delightful human beings that I've ever spoken with, so I'm glad that she's here. Without further ado, please welcome the wonderful Danielle Krissa. Danielle, I am so excited that you're here with us today. Thanks for making the time. Of course. Thank you for having me. You don't understand how cool this is because <laughs> lately what's come up a lot is several people saying, I think I'm a curator. I think I want to curate things. And I don't know the first thing about that. And we haven't had too many people who've been successful at that. And you do all of the things. So <laughs> I'm excited about hearing about your artist journey and all the creative things you do. Just tell us a little bit about your journey and what led you to, to where you are now. Okay. So the beginning was that I totally was an art kid growing up and I, like I was making stuff. My mom said from basically the moment I came out, I was, you know, stealing all of her supplies because she's an artist. I wrote my first kid's book when I was seven under a bush in our front yard. Oh, and, so cute. Yeah, under a bush. And I sewed stuff and whatever I could do, I just did. Um, then I went off to university, but I went for marine biology. Mm. because I just felt like, well, who goes to school for art? And then my PhD science dad said, what are you doing? You know, you've been an artist since you were born. I think you should switch. So I did switch, but I, um, ooh, I had a really hard time. I didn't fit in at all. It was the early 90s. It was grunge. There was Everybody was wearing Doc Martens and dark makeup, and mm -hmm. everybody was very angsty. And I was like a happy 19-year-old who'd had like a nice, you know, upbringing in a middle-class family in a right. small town. So I had no angst and I, right. I was too young. I had nothing to say yet. And so I tried to just learn technique and they did not like that. But I forged ahead. I still thought I was pretty awesome. But then, yeah, my, the big crushing blow came in um, my last year because you, you have critiques, right? So I'd been through many, many, but in my case, it was just, I just got bashed every single time. The final straw came six weeks before I graduated. I put up my work that was going to be my final grad show. And my prof, who really did not like me, loved everything. And then a week later, there was a visiting artist coming from New York and three people could show their work. And so I volunteered and I was the first one to go. And they tore me apart, led by the professor who the week before had said he'd loved and I just was fighting not to cry. And um, a few minutes left in those 30 minutes, he said in front of everyone, all of my peers, all of us about to graduate as painting majors, he said, you should never paint again. Oh, my God. And it just, I believed him. And I quit making art for 15 years. When you said those words, I believed him, it just went right through me. Yeah. Because there's that part of all of us that at one time we just take it, you know, yeah. there's like mm -hmm. that innocent six-year-old inside of us who goes, okay, I guess you're right, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. and we just kind of fall in yeah. that moment. And it's like, everyone's had that moment. And then the rest of their life is everything that, that happened after that. Yeah. It's hard to even hear it, but I'm so glad you're sharing it. So, so what happened next? So I moved into my parents' basement. <laughs> and cried for about a year. Um, and my dad, God love him, he bought all my canvases mm -hmm. and paint, like tried to help me to get 
you know, the mojo back, but I just basically second guessed everything. I second guessed every stroke, every idea. Mm -hmm. And it was just really hard. So I ended up going to design school. You know, I graduated high in my class. I got a job um, at IBM actually as a designer at IBM right out of school. I went on and did all the things you're supposed to do. I became a creative director and I won all the awards you're supposed to win. And I worked on big accounts like Nike and I did all the things and also successfully just hid out from the art world. Like I convinced myself I was being creative in another way and that I didn't have to make art in order to be creative. Like my family was saying, "What? why aren't you making art? And I was like, I, mm-hmm. I'm being creative every single day. Like I was a little, <laughs> a little defensive on that one because right. I knew, I knew they were right. But I just couldn't because every time I did try, um, my, my boyfriend now, husband, he didn't even know I would make stuff, but then I would throw it away because I didn't want anyone to see it because I was never supposed to paint again. Mm-hmm. And um, once I, I, you know, I'd sort of reached the upper echelon, we'd moved to Vancouver. I was a creative director at an agency and I had my son and I decided to quit and stay home with him. And so when he was about two, he wanted to paint one day. So I put paper out for him. No, he painted himself. He painted his whole body. And uh, it was so fun <laughs> to be around him. And I was like, I really realized I was missing making art. And so I sort of started playing around again. I was looking around online for artists that I liked. And I just felt so defeated because I just felt like everyone was doing it better than me. What was the point? And I should never paint again, you know? And uh, this was sort of as blogs were all going crazy. This was in 2007, 2008. And my husband, who is a social media strategist, said, why don't you start a blog? Like, not for anyone to read, but just for you to start organizing the work that you like. And he also pointed out very lovingly that I was sort of (laughs) being eaten alive by jealousy, you know, mm-hmm. and he said, when you keep jealousy inside, it becomes poison and just eats you from the inside out. But he said, if you can find a way to say it out loud in a positive way, you can turn it into admiration. And I said, oh, I'm going to call it the jealous curator because that's exactly what I was. I was Beautiful. jealous and I wanted to curate and, uh, and choose art. Right. And so, um, probably within the first couple of months, the jealousy went away. Um, because then when I found artists that I loved, I had tomorrow's post. So it really taught me a lot. It kind of got rid of the jealousy. And then, yeah, that I haven't really looked back. That was 10 years ago. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. And you, you guys, if you don't know Danielle's work, she's written books and the jealous curator went from being a blog to so many things. There's an Instagram that has almost 200,000 followers. Tell us about the journey of building the blog and then how you grew it into everything else? Uh, Well, it was all very accidental because I was like, I want it to be quiet and like a gallery setting. And so I did it all myself. And I just, I don't know, I just slowly built it up. Every time something popped up, like Pinterest was invented. So I hopped on Pinterest and then, you know, Facebook and Instagram. And I just kind of have followed, I'm interested in it anyway. I'm a, I'm a major sharer. I love telling stories. I love showing people stuff. And so social media, my husband always jokes that it was like basically built for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, I did not start this to build a community at all. It was truly self-therapy. It was just for me. And then um, my tagline when I started was, damn, I wish I thought of that. 
That, mm, that's how I, that's great. That's how I'd know I'd had tomorrow's post if I thought that. And it just resonated with other creative people. Yeah. And yeah. Um, the more, you know, oh, suddenly people started like following and commenting. Yep. And I started hearing like, oh, me too, me too. And I didn't realize creative blocks were something that happened to everyone. I thought mm -hmm. it happened to me and it meant I should quit. I did not know that everyone has an inner critic, even the greatest of greats hear that little voice that tells them they suck. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. I, I just believed I was the only one in the world to have that voice and to have blocks. And then that's kind of what led to everything else. Like two years in, I was approached by an editor at um, Chronicle Books in San Francisco yeah. to write a book. And I started to notice like these conversations kept coming up about blocks and inner critics. And I realized that all of these artists I was writing about, these people who I just, you know, who are full-time artists and have their crap together, also had blocks and inner critics. So I said, I right. want to write a book called Creative Block and interview 50 artists from around the world with all different backgrounds about how they deal with this. Because clearly they do. Like, I, I dealt with it by quitting for 15 years. They must right. deal with it because they still have shows to do. They still have collectors waiting for work. So how do they do it? So that book was all about asking them. And as I got the interviews back from them, oh my gosh, I could just feel the weight coming off of my shoulders because I was like, oh my gosh, if they can all do this, I can do this. And I'd said to my editor, you know, if, if I can help one person with this book, not feel like I felt for so long, you know, mission accomplished. Yep. And it's been amazing. And so a bunch of books rolled out from that and social, and I started a podcast and I started curating shows, which was crazy to me, um, which was something I always wanted to do. When I st first started the blog, I had a section on it called Jealously Curated, and I would make up shows. Um, I'd give myself a theme, and I would just make up a show because the thrill of that is online. You can just pull art from wherever you want. You don't have to get approval to have a Warhol in your show. You can just copy the JPEG. <laughs> and so I would just make up these shows. And um, I had one show called Beautifully Boring. And it was all gorgeous work of mundane, everyday subject matter. And then mm -hmm. a gallery in Chattanooga called and said, uh, do you actually want to hang that show? And I said, oh, okay. And so I ended up doing this huge show with all of the artists that were in my pretend show because they were all contemporary people. So cool. Yeah. And then and then I just kept getting asked to curate shows and so I just keep saying yes. Incredible. Yeah. So how many shows would you say you've done? I think probably 7 or 8 now. Washington DC, LA, Toronto, Vancouver, Aspen. I just did one in Aspen at Christmas time. Incredible. So we have we have people in this audience who are really lit up about this idea of curating. And if someone's listening right now and they might love pottery or they might love maple syrup or they might love ballet, <laughs> what are some ways that you can help us think about becoming a curator with things that we're passionate about and monetizing it? What I always tell people is first thing is you have to be super passionate about whatever that subject matter is. You know, if you love pottery or you love maple syrup, like, write and talk about that. And then that will become your niche, right? So the way I would do it now is I would start like an Instagram account that's just all about maple syrup. And you don't put your pictures of your dog on there. Don't whatever, you know, it's got to be very curated mm -hmm. and very tight so that when people come to that account, they know exactly why yes. they're going. Like people come to me for contemporary art. They don't want 
to see my kid. They don't like, that's not why they come. That's why I have a personal Facebook page. (laughs) But when they come to me for art, that's all they want. So you have to be very specific about that. Then you can reach out to other brands. Like, you know, I often tell people, make sure that you're commenting on other brands that are doing similar stuff so that you kind of create this little community around yourself so that people start looking to you as the expert in that little group and opportunities just start to arise. When you say other brands, what would you mean? Like, let's say you're curating all different kinds of indie made maple syrup or whatever. Right. So I'd like pay attention to like a pancake blog or, you know, like some sort of like something that's sort of in your neighborhood that you know you think that you might be able to collaborate with them or like maybe it's even like general mills for example like go big like so maybe it's like big big brands that deal in food related things and so that you're just on their radar you could reach out to them how would they want to work with with a curator why would general mills want to do that well, it, it benefits them because then they can get to the hardcore fans oh, that, right. you know what I mean? Yeah, that, that are focused. So they might do a collaboration with you or, or sponsor something Cute. that you do. You know, and you're not going to set up your maple syrup Instagram and tomorrow General Mills is going to call you. Like, that's why I say you have to be really yeah. passionate. Like, build you it. have to want to yeah, write about maple it. syrup every day. Yeah. And you do it anyway. I mean, I did Jaws Curator for free. I mean, I still do, but for free for a long, time just because I wanted to. I would wake up excited to write the next post. And when you started to monetize it, where was the money coming from? Well, see, that's the other thing is I have never actually monetized the blog purposely. I always thought of my blog as the calling, like basically a living online resume. Right. It's like, here's who I am. This is my voice. And then things like, would you like to write a book? Yeah. Because every day I posted the kind of work I liked and exactly. every day my voice was there. I get invited to speak a lot now. I get invited to go to universities for like a week-long professorship. And so I get paid for that. I get paid to speak. Beautiful. I get paid to write books. It's very rare for me to... I'm actually talking to a company right now about doing like an Instagram collaboration mm-hmm. and, and I'll get paid well, but I'm very careful about it because my readers will see through it in a heartbeat and be like, what are you doing? So I would never do it it with, you know, something that didn't make sense. Like it has to make sense for me and for my readers and for the brand. Otherwise I just say, no, thank you. It's not worth it to me. Well, this is so interesting because up until now, I used to not really understand like, what are all the different ways that a curator could make money? And I used to think, well, one of the ways is that if you had all different kinds of art, right? Maybe you then you get some kind of like referral fee, like if somebody buys it, right? Or if you are, you know, curating a roster of artists and you decide to pitch them or manage them, you make a little commission, right? Every time you get them work. But what you're saying is there's a, there's a whole nother side of this, which is the more that you create these like hardcore fans that are really circling around this, this thing that you're curating, you're adding value to people who want that audience. They want that, that, super niche audience. And so it then turns into ways for them to have so much value and they're going to pay you for that. And then also you're saying you become a standout. You're not just sort of like waiting to be noticed. You're creating something. And because you're creating Mm -hmm. something, people come to you and say, I took notice and I want you to write a book. And that's so cool. All right. This conversation has been awesome, but let's just take a quick ad break and thank our sponsors. 
One thing I really emphasize for aspiring entrepreneurs is the importance of building a community. And this can be challenging if you're managing a bunch of different services, but with a mighty network, you're able to build a community that's so valuable, you can actually charge for it. And it's so well-designed that it essentially runs itself. You can go to mightynetworks.com to get started. You won't believe how easy and simple the setup process is. It only takes a few minutes. It's amazing what their users have been able to accomplish. For example, an author debuted on the New York Times bestseller list because she was able to pre-sell her books in Mighty Network and rally her tribe to get those sales up. And a coach who had no email list or following sold their new online course in their Mighty Network and generated five figures in their first month. You guys, I keep telling you, this is doable. So I think this might be something that I'll use for future programs and courses because I've tried so many different platforms and there's always some issues like payment processing or you have to set up a community outside of the course website, but with Mighty Networks, it's all in one coherent community. Right now, they're offering the best deal they have available anywhere at mightynetworks.com slash dreamjob. You get three months free when you sign up for a year, but you have to go to mightynetworks.com slash dreamjob. This is their best deal. Three months free. Go now. Go to mightynetworks.com slash dreamjob. I love buying stuff online, but sometimes I wonder, am I really getting the best deal here? Am I missing out on a discount or a sale? Well, with Honey, I don't worry about missing a deal. Honey is a free browser add-on that finds me the best deals online. The app finds discounts and coupons across 37,000 sites like Amazon, Sephora, Nordstrom, and more. It only takes two clicks to install. It's completely free to use, and Honey members have already saved more than $800 million. It's no wonder they have over 100,000 five-star reviews on the Google Chrome store. I had to do some back to school shopping. So I went to Target's online store and ordered some shoes for my kids. And when I went to check out, this little sidebar popped up with a cute animated coin that said, Hey, we found some coupons for you. So Honey automatically looked for the best coupon and I actually saved $20.63 that I probably would not have otherwise even known about. Pretty, pretty cool. And look, there's no reason not to use Honey because it's free to use and it's easy to install on your computer in two clicks. So shop with confidence, get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash dreamjob. That's joinhoney.com slash dreamjob. Honey, the smart shopping assistant that saves you time and money when you're shopping online. I want to talk about the book and I want to talk about this whole idea of getting unstuck. And for you, what are some of those main takeaways that you want us to hear because I think this audience could really use it. Mm-hmm. So in these 50 interviews that came back, there was a lot of patterns, which led to the next book, which is called Your Inner Critic is a Big Jerk. And there's 10 chapters. And basically, each one is a truth about what it is to be a creative person. Mm-hmm. Like blank paper is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, jealousy could eat you alive. Sharing is so important. Like all these different yeah. things. And the common denominator is the inner critic. The inner critic is the one that tells you that the blank page is terrifying. It's the one that tells you not to share your work for fear of rejection, right? Like, and so it was sort of all of these aha moments that I kept having. And, um, and so those are the things like, number one, creative blocks and inner critics are just part of the deal. It's like a badge of honor that you get to wear. That means you're a creative person because if you're a creative person, both of those things will happen. So instead of letting them stop you, wear them like a freaking badge of honor and know that every other amazing, great artist that you worship is wearing the exact same badge. Mm -hmm. The difference between a successful, you know, artist, creative person and not is that the successful ones show up every day whether or not they're in the mood, Mm. whether or not things are coming out really badly. Like you will have days where you sit down and you just make crap, but you show up the next day and you make more crap until it turns into not crap. Right. And what I would do is I would sit down, I would make crap and then I would quit and not do anything for months. Right. 
the successful people keep showing up and they push through that. And that was really liberating to me because, you know, one of the best stories I ever heard was, I forget even where I was, but some guy, his dad had worked for Andy Warhol. He was an intern that would pull prints for Andy. And he said that there were thousands of pieces and compositions that the world has never seen because if Andy didn't like them, they would just go out to the back dumpster and be set on fire. And if an intern took one, like if an intern loved one, didn't matter. If you took one, you'd be immediately fired. Hmm. He did not want the world to see those. Hard to believe. <laughs> right. Yeah. And people think you're supposed to sit down and, and do the soup cans or do the Maryland. No, you have to do the other thousand that are really terrible and get set on fire to get to the Maryland's and the soup cans, right? Yeah. And so I think that that is what what was my main takeaway was just you got to show up even on the days when it's just not working because yeah. it will work if you keep showing up. And I, I always say to people too, like failure leads to genius because you have to fail repeatedly to become a genius. Yeah. You don't show up as a genius. That's and it. you know, like, yeah. it's like running a marathon. You're never going to say, I'm going to run a marathon. And then you run out, go outside and run 26 miles. Yeah. You don't do that. You, you start out by running half a mile, yeah. you know, and then you work your way up. So why would you assume you're going to sit down and write a symphony or you're going to sit down and write the next great American novel? Like that makes no sense. You, you have to get out there and sweat. You have to trip. You have to all of that stuff to get to the final accomplishment. So I think people just have to give themselves a break. Yeah. So true. Just like yeah. push through and not expect yourself to be Mozart on day one. Yeah. It'd be fun to set it on fire, wouldn't it? It would be. It's so relieving. Yeah. It's like there yeah. is no, it's not about an arrival. <laughs> it's just like, I want to be creative. It's, it's, yeah. it's a brilliant, brilliant story. Tell us, do you have any favorite exercises to get unstuck or get back in touch with your creativity? Yes, I do. So the first one is, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, where you roll a dice, well, two, you're supposed to roll two, and you get, say you get like a two and a four, that would mean 24 minutes, or a one and a three is 13 minutes, and you travel for that amount of time in any way you want. You can walk, drive, bike, whatever you want, and when you get to that amount of time, you stop, and as long as you're somewhere safe, <laughs> you spend one hour in that place, and you just take everything in. So you could photograph, you could record sounds, you could write down conversations that, that you overhear. the coolest exercise I've ever heard. Oh right? my God. And you're supposed to do it by yourself so that you're not distracted by anybody else. And so I did it on my birthday. I took my little cruiser bike out and I think I got 11 minutes or something. So I rode for 11 minutes and then my alarm went off and I stopped at an intersection I'd never been at before. And uh, the streets were white and braid. And I wrote that down. And when I went back to my studio, I actually did a piece with embroidery thread and I braided little white braids and worked that into the piece. I never, ever would have done that had I not stopped at white and braid. So right? cool. So cool. So if you are a musician, like go and record sounds or yeah. um, if you're a poet, go and, you know, write down things that you overhear and then start a poem with the first, like the first line of the poem has to be something you overheard and then you can take your creativity from there. Ugh, and it, you it. can do it if you're in a city, like do it when you travel so or you can do it in your own neighborhood and see something that you've probably walked by 5,000 times, but now you're actually stopping and spending an hour there. Yeah. It makes you very present. And it just, it makes you realize that inspiration is truly everywhere around you. You, yeah. have, you just have to stop and look for a minute. Yeah. So beautiful. I love that so much. Okay. Any exercises you have for helping us like recognize the inner critic and maybe working with that in some way? 
<laughs> yeah. I have a really mean thing that I do to people. It's really quite fun. Okay. I do this in workshops all the time. Okay. So I make people write down what their inner critic tells them. So it's usually something like, you know, you're going to fail anyway, so don't bother trying, or you're an amateur and people are going to know it, or you're too old, or you're too young, or too something. So I make them write that down, swear words and all, and then I make them turn to another person in the workshop and yell that thing oh at them. God, yeah. And people instantly tear up and they're like, I don't want to do it. I'm like, and I say, I don't care. Yeah. You have to do it. And I you look them right in the eye. Do not hug them. Do not apologize right. ahead of time. Right. Just yell it. So they do it. And then I say, would you ever in your life mm-hmm. yell that at a friend or your child or right. a stranger? No. So why do you yell it at yourself on repeat all day long? Right. Exactly. So the exercise doesn't end there because that would just be really mean. That right, would be right. super mean. But powerful. So you, yeah. Yeah. So you flip the paper over. And you write the positive opposite. So the positive opposite of you're going to fail, so don't bother trying is what I mentioned earlier. The opposite of that is, oh, I'm going to fail like a genius. Mm -hmm. And then you take that and you stick it up on your fridge or on your mirror or whatever. So every time you hear your inner critic pipe up, stop and write it down. And if nobody's around, yell it in the mirror because it's sort of like talking about a nightmare. Yeah. You know, if you don't tell anyone what your nightmare was, it just bugs you all day. But if you say it out loud, you hear how ridiculous right. it, it kind is. kind of evaporates. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and the other thing I tell people to do is to name their inner critic. Mm-hmm. Um, because as soon as you personify it, it becomes less of this floaty nightmare thing in your head. And it just becomes Tim yep. or, Je- or Janine. <laughs> You know, so you can be like, Tim, you know what? Take a seat, man, because I'm really busy today. And it becomes less of this truth. You know, I believe that professor's words is a truth and, and it just cycled in my head. But as soon as you can just change it into Tim and tell him to sit down because you're busy, you you get the power back. Then your inner critic doesn't have that power anymore. Ah, so good. Um, so, so if that all wasn't enough, um, you've written another book, which is coming out in October. It's called The Big Important Artist. Tell us about this book and why you wrote it. Well, so the first, there was actually, okay, so there was Creative Block. Then there was a book called Collage. Then there was Your Inner Critic is a Big Jerk. Then last October, um, a big important art book, Now with Women, came out. Mm. Because I own a lot of big, important art books that strangely forgot to include women. Mm, that's interesting. Not sure what happened there. Mm. Yeah. Um, and when I pitched that book, <laughs> I got rejected by five out of six publishers because they said, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but basically nobody would read a book about women artists. But it only takes one publisher <laughs> and running press out of Philadelphia said yes. And so I wrote that book. It came out last um, October and it has... 45 contemporary women, 30 historical women, and 15 projects for artists of the future Beautiful. to jumpstart them. And uh, it was such a success that like, it, the day it came out, they called and said, can you write a follow-up, um, like a workbook version of it? So um, that's 30 new contemporary artists, 15 new historicals, and a whole bunch of projects for people to get them going. And you can actually work right in the book. And that one's called A Big Important Artist because it's like, okay, over to you. Go be a big important artist. That is so cool. So tell us a little sneak peek, like what are maybe a couple of the things that are in there? What can we expect from this book? Well, there are a whole bunch of projects to get you going. I didn't want to give too much guidance because, you know, I don't want them to feel like they're being hemmed in. I want to be like, okay, here's the jump starter. You go do a thing. So one of the things I, I think is brilliant was... 
creativity jars. So you give yourself three jars and you put 10 slips of paper in each jar. So jar number one could be um, supplies. So you would put a slip Mm -hmm. in there that says paint or pencil, thread, glitter, whatever you want. And then jar number two could be um, patterns. So you give yourself a whole bunch of patterns. um, And then the third jar is filled with colors. So when you don't know what to do, you just reach in and you grab a slip from each jar. And so now you've got pink dots and paint. Love so, it so right? much. Yeah. Yes. And then I always make people set a timer because we get crazy and feel like, okay, this is the project now. This is going to be my Warhol soup cans. It's like, no, no, it's just dots and paint. So I always set a timer for like 30 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever it is. And you have to make something using those rules in 15 minutes. And then if you want mm-hmm. to set it on fire, but it's a really great little jump starter. If you just those days, you know, I said, show up at the studio. Sometimes you show up and you have no idea what to do. Well, reach into the jars and it will tell you what to do. So I love yeah. that one. Oh, I really love this because I am such a storyteller. So this one is called Televisual Story. And um, it's about sort of reaching into your personal memory bank. So for example, it says like the story that your crazy uncle told at every single family gathering over and over again. <laughs> so you know that story that has been told. So write it down and you can exaggerate all of the minutiae and describe the colors and the characters and the location and take as much artistic license as you want. And then make a piece on it. Maybe it's a collage, maybe it's film, maybe it's a song, maybe it's whatever. But you're starting from this narrative that's in your head already. It's free content. Why not harvest it and turn it into something? And so there's things like that throughout. Um, Let's see, let's do one more. This is also my personality. (laughs) Eavesdropping. So the book encourages you, it tells them, okay, let's go to a cafe and bring this book with you. So you basically go order yourself a nice coffee and a chocolate croissant, and then just eavesdrop to everything that's going on around you in this cafe and write down what you hear. Same with the rolling the dice project. It's like, okay, so if you heard something really great, maybe that's the title of your next painting. Maybe it's the first line in a haiku, but it just makes you be much more present everywhere you go so that you're constantly looking for inspiring information to to get you going where you need to go. And you got coffee and a croissant, so it can't be bad at all. Can't be so bad. Exactly. I love it. I think it's so helpful because as as artists, we don't usually know like what should I write? What's the next thing I should make? And when when you go to see like an improv show, sometimes the director comes down and gives and says, give them something, you know, give them a word, give them a sound, and then they'll make something out of it. And It just makes sense. I I just love it. Okay, we, we have a few more things to cover, but first, a quick ad break. When you're running your own business, you end up wearing a lot of hats. Some of those hats are totally great and super fun, but other hats like filing taxes and running payroll, that's probably not something that makes you want to wake up every day. But now you can tame the chaos of payroll benefits and HR with Gusto. Gusto has easy online payroll benefits and HR built for modern small businesses, and it makes it super easy to manage all these tools by putting them in one place. Gusto automatically files and pays all state, local, and federal payroll taxes. Plus, they have fast, easy-to-run payroll, including W-2s and 1099s, and health benefits, 401ks, and so much more for almost any budget. I think this is really cool because you can sign, store, and organize employee documents all online, which is where most of us are running our business anyway. 
and running your payroll with Gusto only takes 11 minutes on average. Gusto was named Best Online Payroll by PC Mag. They're partnering with small businesses across all 50 states, and they can help you too. Get three months free when you run your first payroll at gusto.com slash dreamjob. Try a demo and test it out at gusto.com slash dreamjob. Whether you're moving to a new place, having a baby, or just Marie condoing your life, you're probably looking to free up some space. You could use self-storage, but why bother breaking your back or your bank account when you can just use Clutter instead? Clutter is the world's largest on-demand storage provider that makes it super simple and affordable to stash those items away. There's no guesswork, no wasted space. If you're not sure how much storage you need, Clutter can help you find the best option for you. You can just schedule a pickup and Clutter will be there to pack and move your belongings to store in their secure facility. I think this is especially awesome because the thought of having to pack everything up and even moving them from one room to the other, honestly, that gives me anxiety. So having a service like Clutter gives me so much peace of mind. You don't even have to pay more for packing or delivery because it's all included in Clutter's low monthly rate. So stop wasting time, stop wasting money searching for packing supplies, scheduling movers, and vetting storage facilities. Clutter has a great sign-up bonus for our listeners. You can get $50 off your first month when you sign up at clutter.com slash dreamjob. That's on top of Clutter's no-hassle moving, their online inventory management, their free pickup and delivery, and their price match guarantee. You can see why Clutter is better and get $50 off your first month at clutter.com slash dreamjob. So I think so often artists struggle with, am I making things for myself or am I making things for somebody else? And I want to be authentic. And so I don't want a patron. I don't want a client. I don't want a buyer. I just want to be me, right? Yeah. So how do you address that with artists when they're, you know, I don't want to be a sellout. I need to be authentic. I, I don't want someone to tell me what to paint. And you've seen what it means to care about what your audience wants on your blog and yeah. all of that. And I think that that's a really big roadblock block for people that keeps them stuck. And I think it's actually just a limiting belief. Yeah, I do too. I, I mean, for me, my art was always very much for me until Etsy. I had a little shop on Etsy in like 2008. And I had a painting of a bear roaring or collage, sorry, of a bear roaring. And it sold immediately. And then I had about 40 emails asking if they could buy that, but it already sold. Mm. And so I remember thinking, okay, bears are hot. Make more bears. Yeah. <laughs> so I started doing all this stuff with bears and I was like, I don't care about bears, but I was doing it because they were selling like hotcakes. And then I was like, oh, I hate this so much. And so I, it was such a clear lesson to me that I was like, oh, okay, whoa, 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 just do what you want to do. And I think it goes back to the maple syrup analogy, right? It's like, it's going to take time, build what you want to build, and then people come to you for that. So if you're trying to make something that's going to appeal to everybody, it's going to be bad. Yeah, because no, it can't appeal you, to everybody. That's, it can't appeal to everybody. Yeah. Um, and so you have to find your niche. You have to find your people um, that respond to maple syrup or respond to kitsch paintings or respond to whatever and be true to yourself. You'll end up catering to a group, which is great because they'll be your buyers, but you don't have to deviate. And I've actually talked to a lot of people on my podcast who, you know, built up a huge clientele by doing a certain body of work. But as creative people, you don't want to do the same thing for the rest of yeah. your life. Like as creative people, you're like, Ooh, look over there. And you want to try different right. stuff. So and so I've said, like, were you scared, um, you know, to lose all of your collectors by kind of changing direction? And they were all like, no, because at the end of the day, I have to do what feels good to me as a creative person. Mm -hmm. Because if you're just doing what those collectors want forever, you're going to start to resent yeah. them, your work, you're not going to have fun. And then what's the point, right? So yeah. um, you have to really steer your own boat and believe in yourself and know that 
you know, either your collectors are going to follow you or you're going to find new collectors. Yeah, that's so true. Okay. Last question. This has been so delightful. If someone's listening right now and they really do feel like they're called to do something that they love, but they feel like it's too late and they feel like maybe time has passed them by and they can't pivot or reinvent themselves, what, what can you share with them to encourage them? Are you trying to make me mad? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that makes Good me answer. so mad. Yeah. It is never, ever, ever too late. Like there are artists who started their career at 80, you know, and have went on to, um, I'm blanking on her name, Minnie Pearl. Um, she was an Aboriginal painter in Australia. She started painting at 89 and then went on to be represented in Australia's National Gallery. Oh my God. And so I always think about her and Amazing. I'm like, you know what? That is crazy. Do it at 89 yes. <laughs> um, and be represented by the National Gallery before she died. Well then, yes, good ma'am. job. Yeah, I really love that. And I just think it's funny because the people who say, oh, I'm too old. There are also so many people who say, well, I'm too young. I'm only 22. I won't be taken seriously. Um, and then there's people who are, you know, the I'm just a mom thing drives me nuts. Oh yeah. You can be so many things. In the Big Jerk book, there's a chapter called Labels um, are for Canned Peaches, Not People. Because people will put labels on themselves and they'll decide, well, you know what? I'm an accountant and a mom, so I can't be a musician. It's like, oh, yes, you can. Like, There's more than one thing on your label. You can be all of those things. You just need to prioritize them and figure out how you're going to have balance. And and you can do whatever you want. And so that's, that's my thing, whether your age or your, you know, people say, Oh, but I live in a small town. It's like, so do I. I'm in a town of 10,000 people in Canada and I have books and I speak all over the world. And you know, it doesn't matter, especially with the internet. Yeah. You can be anywhere and make the life happen that you want. It's incredible. And this is why it's so important that you you're doing the work you're doing because everything you just said, people have to hear that. And it's, it's something that they forgot that they Mm -hmm. could be three things and they forgot that it's not too late. And the reason they forgot is because these things are not modeled for them. They're not hearing this every day. They're not seeing this in their parents and in the way that their grandparents live their lives. And so it's so important, the work that you're doing. Can I plug one other thing? Please do. So I, this was like crazy, crazy dream come true. I have wanted to write a kid's book my entire life since writing the one under the bush when I was seven. And so the, about five years ago, I had this idea for a kid's book, but everyone around me was sort of like, Oh, you know, but you're, you're known for adult books, like keep writing adult books. And I was like, but I have this idea. So anyway, I just sold it. I finished it yesterday. That's so awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. And the whole premise is it's like not a kid's storybook. I'm talking directly to them because I cannot tell you truly over a thousand people have said to me that when they were six, seven or eight, they were told they couldn't be creative. Mm -hmm. Either it was silly and pointless or they weren't good enough or, you know, whatever. There was always something. And it was told to them by someone who they believed, a parent, a teacher, a grandparent. So they believed it at six, seven or eight as a truth, right? So this book, I was like, okay, Instead of waiting till these people are 40 to talk to them, uh-huh. what if I scooch around to the front and I talk to them when they're six, seven, or eight and go, Psst, if anyone ever says this stuff to you, yeah. it's not true. You can do it. And it. so I have, instead of the inner critic, it's, there's a little art bully that shows up partway through that tries to stop you. And, um, and so I, Oh, I just got goosebumps. I am so excited about this book. You know, I wish someone had told me when I was little, I wish I didn't have to find out on my own, you know, at 35. I wish I had just 
had that in my head. I wish that seed had been planted as well. So I got to write it. They let me illustrate it. Wow. And it's coming out October 2020 and it still wow. doesn't have a title. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, but, I love um, that so too. You just like make yeah. it. It's like, yeah. I don't have the website. I don't have a title. I don't have a, <laughs> no, figure it out. That's no yeah. problem. It's coming. It's coming. So anyway, I had to plug that because I, I'm like ridiculously proud of it. You are really the best. And I hope that we stay in touch. <laughs> and uh, along those lines, why don't you tell everybody um, how they can find your work and how they can buy your books? Yeah, you can find me. My blog is just thejealouscurator.com. And uh, on Instagram and Facebook, I'm just at thejealouscurator. My own work is Danielle Chrissa Art. And um, I've taken a break from my podcast, but there are 151 episodes, interviews wow. with artists, yeah, about how they, their background, their process, and how they get through blocks Beautiful. and stuff. And it's called Art for Your Ear. So um mm-hmm. It's all out there. If you search for The Jaws Curator, you'll kind of find it all. And the books are all available at Barnes & Noble and um, in a lot of the gallery shops, like MoMA Gallery Shop and stuff like that. You're so awesome and delightful and smart. <laughs> oh. I wish I lived closer. I would try to grab coffee with you. I know. Me too. I know. It's been so nice to chat with you. Yeah. And, and this was really fun. We talked about so many interesting things. So That's yeah, it's so, so good. And you're the best. So well, let's stay in touch. And thank you so much for being here. You just like added so much to all of our lives. You have no idea. Oh, thank you. That was so fun talking to Danielle. So here are some takeaways. Number one, don't keep the jealousy inside. Turn it into admiration. Number two, wear those creative blocks and inner critics like badges of honor. It's proof that you are a creative person. Number three, keep showing up. You have to make the thousands that get set on fire before you get to the Maryland's and the soup cans. Number four, failure leads to genius. Number five, inspiration is truly everywhere. You just have to stop and look around. Number six, name your inner critic. Tell Tim or Janine to pipe down and take a seat. Number seven, be true to yourself. Build what you want to build. You'll cater to an audience, steer your own boat, and do what feels good to you. Number eight, labels are for canned peaches, not people. There can be more than one thing on your label. Number nine, it's never, ever, ever too late to start doing what you love. Guys, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this show. It means the world to me, and I have no doubt that there's a million other things you could be doing, so thank you. We have so many awesome episodes coming up, so please take a second and make sure you're subscribed to the show because I don't want you to miss out, and it's free to subscribe. Also, if you want to do the best thing to support us, take a second right now and share whatever episode you love, whether it's this one or another one. If you found an episode inspiring, share it because you might just brighten up the world for someone else. This message might be something that they need to hear so that they know that they're also capable of making meaningful, beautiful things. I'll leave you with a song of mine as always, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. So many times I chose to run. So many times I held my tongue. I held my tongue. Never saying what I needed to.
I've got the heart of a hero.